Welcome yeah, to season one of Wine Goblins. It came out really fast. Easily. Oh, it got all over me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I smell like alcohol. Yeah, it just went all over. Cool. All right. Well, it's opened. Had my first uh, champagne explosion. Welcome to Wine Goblins. A podcast <laughs> where three best friends are. What's our what's our mission statement? We're just here sheds and giggles. <laughs> three best friends trying to share our love of wine with anyone willing to listen. So, JR, correction corner. Did we mess anything up last week? Okay. Correction corner. I'm not sure if we missed anything last week because I didn't listen to the raw cut and I was waiting for the edited version. Super behind on that. That's my fault. Sorry. So off the top of my head, I don't think we missed anything last week. So correction corner. Great job. All three of us. We're pretty good. I think so. I think we're pretty good. I mean, we're kind of geniuses about it. I mean, we've made it through season one of a podcast and a lot of people thought we wouldn't get this far. Should we name all them by name and uh, dox them? Kobe. No. <laughs> oh, Kobe didn't think we would. Kobe is uh, Danny's husband. Kobe didn't think he would make it. You know, after Murder, my other podcast, I think he had more support and more like belief in us. But no, I didn't think he thought we'd fully go through with this. To be fair to Kobe and all the haters, we actually at this point have not released anything to the public. That's beyond our control. We are waiting for graphics. We're waiting for some licensing on music. So music is good. Oh, we're just waiting for graphics then. And we've had some hiccups there from a PG 13, maybe R rated situation on the graphics department, which was unexpected. But we're learning and adapting and we're trying to find someone who will make an appropriate graphic of three goblins drinking wine, which I thought was a simple request. Yeah, just a PSA for everyone out there listening. If you've ever wanted to get someone on Fiverr or anything else to uh, do graphics of goblins, be prepared for them to be way more sexualized than you're expecting, which in retrospect is our fault for thinking they wouldn't be sexualized. And then it went the complete opposite direction, went scary goblin. So I guess friendly goblins, not a thing, but I was kind of just hoping. Maybe the sexy was trying to make them friendly. Oh. So the sexy was kind of like a lush. I don't know what that means. Okay. Well, Danny doesn't really hang out at bars. Actually, you know what? I don't want to tell this story right now. This is, we, let's keep this week a PG, PG, maybe PG-13. You never know who's going to listen to us. We want folks to be able to listen to it in the car with children around. It's the champagne episode. I think this is going R-rated soon. We've already had a popped cork in within the first 30 seconds of this. Yeah. Premature popped cork, too, if I may so. so Danny made a lot of noises that I hear in other forums, not in this podcast. Oh, Slurpee. Speaking of champagne, that's what our wine of the week slash wine knowledge segment will be. Aaron is going to take us on a journey to explain how champagne specifically, right? Or are you going to do all a sparkling wine? I only prepared for champagne. Perfect. So Aaron's only going to talk about champagne and Danny and I will interject with some questions from time to time, but be prepared to have your uh, knowledge expanded on champagne from Aaron. This yeah. podcast has really taught me, JR and I, similar taste in wine. I've, I've known that the whole time, but I feel like I needed to make you believe it. Aw, well, I believe it. During our first episode, this is a complete tangent while Aaron prepares his notes. During our first episode, Danny said that her wine take was she doesn't like Chardonnay. And I think I only did this podcast to prove that wrong. So yeah. Danny's currently drinking a champagne that's 100% Chardonnay. And I was just like, it was very happy to see her reaction when she had her first sip. Yes, yes. You have that hot take of the week, that first one, gone. However, so, I still don't think I like um, champagnes from, not champagne, Chardonnays from like California. It It's, there's such a wide range to them that... I don't blame you. And Aaron will often say I have the palate of a country club mom. And mm -hmm. so I'm very pretentious about well order slash taste. And I think Chardonnay definitely hits that. Like I will only drink certain types of it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Chardonnay, should we talk about champagne? Yeah, please enlighten okay. me. Okay. So for the audience, I really like to always take a step back and explain things. And for example, I think I think most folks are aware that champagne is let, let's I actually I don't I don't want to make any assumptions. I'll make a statement. Champagne is a sparkling white wine that must be grown 
and made in the Champagne region of France. Is just, that just sparkling wine? You can take out white. Oh, it's usually what. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. I apologize. Pinot Noir is one of the grapes. We're, we're saving Gretchen's yes. corner for season two already. So if the grapes are grown not in Champagne, but imported to Champagne, still can't be called Champagne. Okay. No so the girl. whole process has to be done there. Yeah, it has to be very local. They were the original hipsters. Keeping everything hyper local. So it's about, I don't know, maybe 100 miles away from Paris, thereabouts. It's not too far from Paris, if folks are wondering where, where it is on the map. So that means it's roughly a little, it's a little further north than a lot of the grape growing regions, which means it's slightly cooler. Then that creates a very different type of grape taste, as well as you know, we, just, we just talk about terroir and soil and that sort of thing, uh, similar to Burgundy. The uh, bed, the, literally the ground floor of Champagne used to be a seabed back millions of years ago. So it's very clay and chalk heavy or not, not clay. Is it clay? Definitely chalk. Yeah. Clay and chalk heavy. What soil. about salt? I think that's in the Himalayas. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I don't, I think this, I think, I don't know. I don't know enough about geology. A uh, fun fact about Just Champagne's growing is that Paris used to treat it like it was the dump. So they dumped really? a ton of trash there in the <laughs> 70s and 80s. And if you visit Champagne now, you'll still see blue plastic bags in the ground because they couldn't clean it all up. But these vineyards have mostly gone biodynamic, but they're still covered in garbage because of how it was viewed 50 years ago or so. And that is a fun fact I wish I didn't know. Wait, I'm confused. Why would they use that particular area? Because Champagne's been pretty famous for hundreds of years. Aren't there lesser areas or, you know, areas that don't produce world-class, you know, products? I believe they didn't think soil mattered that much. And they thought of that as cover crop to protect the soil from frost and stuff. So they were just dumping trash throughout the vines. It seems dumb. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of dumb things that have been done in the past when you (laughs) look at winemaking, but that's definitely toward the top of the list. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, you learned something new. You think that? Means there's more microplastics in champagne than other wine. Wow. Hmm. No, I want to say no. I would lean toward no too. No, but like, I mean, I like there's, it's entirely possible. I'm sure there's other microplasticy wines out there. I mean, Danny, you want yeah. you want Oreo cupcake wine? I do. Yes. I'm. I'm not making any statements about myself drinking it. It was just a question. Okay. You guys are so Southern California talking about microplastics. First thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. So. It's in the Champagne region. Now, of course, there can be other sparkling wine, white or otherwise, created all around the world. But of course, it could not be called Champagne unless not only does it come from Champagne, but has to follow these very strict rules and regulations, similar to other French wine regions. They're very, the French are sticklers for rules. Say what you will. Both wine and other food products, too. They really like to have their rules in place for those things because they hold them so near and dear to their hearts. As Danny holds long lunches near and dear to her heart. That is false. For the uh, audience, Danny likes to do quick lunches and upset JR by leaving them quickly. It's okay. This is like my Chardonnay quest all over again to convince Danny that long lunches are the future for her lifestyle and that she'd enjoy it more when she relaxes, you know? I love long lunches. I don't love long lunches when I'm supposed to be at work. Yeah, we gotta get you to France. It's gonna change. Okay. So anyways, back to the champagne making process. Yes. Right. So you pick the grapes. Does it have to have to be by hand, Jr.? I assume so. I'm not sure. Okay. Pick the grapes. Harvest them like anything else. Now, similar to Burgundy, the primary grapes are, uh, pardon me, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, as well as Pinot. What's the other one, Jr.? Meunier. Pinot Meunier. Danny, you look confused. Let's talk about it. Pinot Noir grapes. For champagne? Yeah. Now, Danny, talk about it. You know what those are now. Aren't they red? There, there you go. Danny, you and your growth make me cry in a good way. Same well, for help me. me out here. As her brother-in-law, I'm crying tears of joy right now. It's, it's, it's been a beautiful goal of 2023 to help Danny on her wine journey. Champagne's probably the only wine slash region that blends <clears throat> whites with reds or like white and black grape together to make wine. And so if you leave Pinot Noir on the grape 
on the skin long, obviously it imparts the color. But if you press it and take it off immediately, it's not going to impart the color. So it's still going to come out as like a pale color. So Chardonnay, when it's made from basically only Chardonnay, is usually a Blanc de Blanc from Champagne. And then Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier is Blanc de Noir. So that's kind of like your differentiator for most common champagnes. Very interesting. Yeah. I was, I was surprised because I think I mentioned on an earlier podcast this season that I was under the assumption that almost all champagne was made from Chardonnay. And that's just not the case. There's more grapes being added, too. Why would they let that happen? Is that common? Is that because of climate change? Let's talk about it. Yeah, because of climate change, they've permitted more grapes to be into champagne wines. And like, as Aaron mentioned, mm-hmm. the big three that you're most commonly going to see are the Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. But now Pinot Blanc is making an appearance in some champagnes. That makes sense. There's some other ones as well. So it's definitely evolving and changing in champagne currently. And Pinot Blanc, if I remember correctly, it is the same grape as Pinot Noir, but essentially it depends if it during ripening during this growing season, if it decides it wants to be white or red. It's just like a genetic mutation. Okay. Okay, cool. So we have the hand, the hand pick these grapes. Let's just say, let's just say it's a, we're talking about a grower champagne. Should we talk about the difference between grower? Let's, let's get there later. Let's get there later. So, Wait, what else is there besides grower? Like a state. Okay. House, right, yeah. house, house, house. So basically, you know, so Don, Don, Don Perignon, that's house, right? Yeah. Whereas so, grower. So that's made by Moet and Chandon, which is a giant house in Champagne. And Don Perignon's their like top of the line Champagne from that house. Mm. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had no idea. For my um, bridal shower gifts for my people in my wedding party. I wanted to get them all little bottles of Mo. How do you say it? Moet? Moet? Moet. Yeah, but I, I didn't. But you it was know, an idea. You got the house says Dom Perignon is the person who invented champagne. Mm-hmm. And as Aaron will more than likely get to, it's not actually what happened. And they take oh, credit shit. for it. But it's it's one of the folklores. that's not actually true. Yes, I'll 100% get to that because I knew that fact. JR, thank you. And I'll let you just kind of go fill in the gaps. <laughs> I don't think I understood the assignment. Is what I'm realizing. You're doing great. <laughs> Please continue. Okay, great. Okay, so they harvest the grapes. Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier. Meunier. Mm-hmm. So what happens is we press the grapes very similar to for making a normal, let's just say, white wine. And we press them in such a way where they only extract the juices and we essentially get rid of the skins, JR, or maybe they use them for another wine. But all we really care about for this process is the juice because the juice is not going to color the wine red like a Pinot Noir wine, traditional wine. You're just going to get the juices and you throw it in, let's just say this, a big stainless steel fermenter, very similar to other processes. Except JR, with, I think with some of my research, I learned that maybe it's nicer houses or vintage wine. They'll they'll do it in smaller barrels. Does that sound right? It's possible. Up okay. to this point, if like, I know Danny and I have interrupted quite a bit. No, just, okay. to, just to clarify for people, you basically made still wine up to this point. The yeah. process isn't that different. I believe it's the exact same up to this point. So once you pick the grapes, got them into the winery to make your wine, you're making still wine up to this point. Everything that makes champagne different happens over the next steps. Right. And then I believe normal fermentation is like two, three weeks, something like that. So it's in the vats. It ferments and then they always add yeast. Is that right, JR? For champagne, they always add yeast as opposed to letting the grapes' natural yeast help it ferment. I believe there's still ones that don't. I mean, those are pretty like natural winemakers that are probably pretty rare to find. But I mean, for the most part, they're going to add yeast because they need that extra fermentation. Okay. And then from here, after a few weeks, a bunch of the big wigs, the sommeliers, the folks who really like to flex their taste buds at parties they get together and they start tasting the vats and what has been produced so far and discuss how they want to make the next vintage and what what barrels which grapes which varieties they they so it's kind of like a collaboration right jr yeah so and this is where it varies from traditional white wine production right so when you see champagne on a, a wine list sometimes it'll say mv or nv next to it danny would you have a guess on what those uh initials might mean when i hear mv i want to go like most valuable like okay MVP. okay that's a sports so, reference danny 
She Addis and M B like most basic. No, sorry, N V as in oh N V. Yes, N I V Bibles. Yes, no variants. Okay, we're we're somewhere there. So N no vowels is the more common one, which means no vintage. Right. Uh, you know, that the, makes more sense with wine. Yeah. The way it's going yeah. now, because that's not a fair term. Like, to me, that's not a fair term. It's clearly from a vintage. Right. And as Aaron's alluding to, multi-vintage is the easier way to go about it because it's coming mm. from MV. multiple vintages. And so once the wine has been pressed and you have the juice and they start blending, it could be blend. it can be blended from different vineyards. It could be blended from different grapes. There's so many different decisions that are made once it's in the winery for blending and then past that then they get the uh, blending in terms of previous vintages plus the current vintage to make the wine so the Dom Perignon that we had at Thanksgiving thanks to my mother-in-law and uh, Danny's loving mother was a 2013 so it was a vintage so that was made from one specific vintage but the one we're drinking currently is non-vintage so it's made from either a solera or multiple vintages over the course of time kicking it back to aaron now because i think that answered the questions about blending it did but now i have more questions so let's say it's currently end of 2023 so would you potentially blend 2023 vintage things that were harvested three months ago grapes that were harvested three months ago with things from 2021 2020 is that how that would work from my understanding most wineries have like a barrel behind and that mm-hmm. will contain up to like as many years as they want of wine okay. and so each time they go this is a gross exaggeration but it's probably the easiest way to understand it so you bring in one new barrel you have a barrel of reserve wine mm-hmm. so then you combine those two barrels and you but you leave half of your old barrel behind the one that had all the previous vintages mm-hmm. and so now you have one and a half barrels of the new vintage plus the old vintage and then you take the half of that back to add to the other barrel to finish it back up. So you've added the new vintage kind of to your previous vintage. And now you have a mix of the of this new vintage plus your previous vintage. And that's how you make like a multi vintage type of champagne. This is a gross exaggeration. But for me, it's the easiest way to conceptualize it. And this is specific to champagne making process, right? This 100%. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that seems like and now this is one of the many checkpoints where it makes sense why the price is generally high you know there's there's of course cachet brand name brand recognition the fact that is probably probably starting with pretty high quality inputs but there's just a lot of human interaction involved with this and that in in turn always just kind of creates a higher price so yeah learning about the champagne making process helped me make sense of why champagne costs so much there's way more hands-on aspects yeah. to champagne making, which definitely contributes to the price, but also contributes to like the interesting story behind what's in your glass when you order champagne. Mm-hmm. Have we gotten to how why it sparkles? Not yet. I'm so excited for that. Okay. So what they do is they put gold dust in it, and then <laughs> a sound bath is made, and then it just starts to sparkle. Now, then what happens is they bottle it. And, and Non-sparkling? Then, correct. It's just straight, Right, Jay? So the fermentation is taking place in the bottle. So we, we've added the yeast and now we haven't, there's a got, we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there yet. Right. Because we just did the the vintage mixing at, from the vat, from the large fermentation. Right. Yeah. We're, we should be going to bottle. Oh, I guess yeah. we can go on. No, we're going to bottle next. Right. Yeah, We're going to bottle now. Yeah. So as it gets bottled, they add more yeast to then create that carbon dioxide. You and know, this is different than like bread yeast. We could try it with bread yeast. Or kombucha yeast. Now, as this is, I, I believe there literally is just a strain of yeast called champagne yeast. And I'm Ooh. sure there's, I, I don't know enough about it, but I, I'm sure there are very nuanced differences of different kinds of yeast and strains, I would assume. I didn't get that far in my research. Jared, do you have any input on that? I mean, p- part of the yeast is the environment it's in. So some people are bringing in yeast, like what you would think of as like the yeast you get out of a packet, but some winemakers are just using the yeast that's in the environment. So they'll crush grapes at the start of harvest to create the yeast into their winery so that they have yeast already there that's already going to help with this fermentation process. So there's multiple ways to go about it, which is like another one of like winemaker decisions at this point. And now it's in the bottle. We put it in the cellar. And JR, I believe the minimum it has to age in bottle is two years to be called champagne. Does that sound right? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So anywhere from two to 10 years, it ages in the bottle. And this is where like that secondary fermentation is taking place because there's all this stuff that's happening in the bottle. I don't know, chemistry stuff. I didn't really, I wasn't very good at science or math or English or really anything besides PE. (laughs) So they put a crown cap on it rather than like, people tend to think like in a bottle, they think like there's a regular cork in it. At this point, there's a crown cap on the top of the bottle. Obviously, you're never going to get champagne like with a crown cap. So what's happening? Right. You have an actual cork, Danny. So there's a crown cap on your bottle when it was at this point. And what they do is what is a crown cap? Like a beer cap. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so what they do is they put it on like a wall with holes in it and they stack the bottles. so They're almost on a diagonal. So the lees, which is the dead yeast that Aaron was just talking about, go to the top of the bottle. Yeah. And, and then and when why, they, and what's uh, the reason and, and you want to go to the top of the bottle, why exactly? So when you disgorge, which is when you take off that crown cap, yeah. you're gonna freeze the top of the bottle. That's right. So that becomes Not like this yet. little like nugget of ice at the top. Okay. And then all that carbonation that you've already put in the bottle will push it out. It'll pop it right out. And then you put a cork in it. And then you cap and then you put the cap on top of that. Okay. So that that's when you get to that process. But we skipped a step in there. So I'm gonna let Aaron okay. clarify where I missed. So it. in the cellar, we're in the bottle with only a crown cap, which is like a bottle cap. And then guys, I'm sure very, very fancy French guys, they go in and they turn it ever so slightly, right? Over the over the course of these two years, right? So it just kind of continues to move Third and job has a very specific name. And I'd love for Danny to guess what they're called. Okay, Danny. Wait, does it have to be men? Like earlier, we talked about how women had to do something. Yeah, it doesn't have to be men. Okay. And they just turn the bottle. Quarter turn. I believe it's like once a day. Quarter and what's turn. their name? I guess. Is you it can... in French? No. Oh. Bottle turner. It's a villain from a superhero movie. A great villain? Oh, 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 oh. The Green Goblin. They're called Riddlers. <laughs> <laughs> I would have never gotten that. It was fun to watch you on the journey, though. Yeah, I would have gotten that, but I, I really like that little tidbit. Riddlers. <laughs> okay, so the Riddlers, they go in, and every day they quarter turn it. And then this the process, the reason why is because it, it agitates the yeast in a certain way. Is that why? Okay, great. So now after two years of doing that, or, or more, let's just say two years, then they freeze it, the top, only the top, right, JR? So they put it in a, so now there's, there's like a, let's just say it's a bigger production. They have a, a production line like you see in those like history channel shows where it's literally an ice bath and they have the bottles turned upside down where just what the two inches of the neck are in it to freeze it. So that way then they can scourge, scourge, disgorge, disgorge. So basically it's opening the bottle quickly and they can, the ice pops out that has the dead yeast. Yep. Okay. Danny, you look really confused. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah. It's pretty weird regardless. It's very weird, but it makes sense. It's Danny, also do want, like, do you want to guess what big house of champagne discovered this process? Is it Dom Perignon? Are they the ones claiming to do it? Nope. It's oh. a different one. It's Vuv one you're familiar with too. It is Vuv. Madame Vuv is the one who discovered this process. So you guys, we got to find like a wine trivia night. Which, Shout out which... to the women in winemaking. Wait, is the, the <laughs> woman who is the owner of Vuv a woman? The, the woman who started the house. Yeah. I mean, she's, I don't believe Danny, she's still with us. Danny, you, uh, you're surprised by that, which tells me you're not really an ally. <laughs> I'm I, more so I surprised a, that they would. I'm not surprised. No, 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 no. Let me, let me elaborate. Just I'm more thing. so surprised that they would actually credit a woman versus that she did it. I'm wondering how long it took for her to get credit, to be honest. Wait, what'd you say? I'm wondering how long it took for her to get credit, to be honest. Yeah, that's also a good point. We give Anyways. her a appropriate credit now i'll put it that way shout out shout out to madam vu jr do you recall roughly when she was you know working (laughs) i don't i I mean this is quite this is a long time ago because she was doing it in snow so i mean this this is a long time ago okay okay question question so they do this ice bath they freeze the dead yeast it pops out yes and then they put the cork in not quite not yet yet. we're not there yet Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's not bury the lead. Okay. So after this part, then they need to replace the wine that popped out with other 
other wine, right? So they kind of refill that gap, right, Jared? Yep. Okay. Okay, great. And then what happens here? With, and then there's another, oh, go ahead. With like wine in the barrels, like from the same year, if it's the MV, no, NV. Either one no, works. No, MV. Yeah, either one works. Okay. Yeah. I mean, depending just, on what they're making, it's a game time decision. I'm sure it's based on availability, what they thought about. But, you know, at this point, it's years later, they could have something they're really excited about or frankly, something they're just trying to get rid of, you know? So it, I, I would imagine it's it's a game time decision. Okay. So now, now we're going to bottling? I'm, I'm, I'm missing a step. Like we're adding to Sage now. Okay. So remember what that remember what that one is, Jr. So we've taken out the yeast. So we've taken out some of the carbonation and fermentation in our bottle with this disgorge. So now we're going to add like a sugary kind of mixture to it. So it's basically liquid and sugar. That's it's right. Referred to in grams of sugar per liter, and then that's added to the bottle as your as your dosage. And that's so. On on a label of champagne, there's brute, there's extra brute, and then there's brute natural or or natu- nature basically, which is no dosage, which means no sugar's been added to it. Extra- Ooh, I bet that's like gnarly. Okay, we'll we'll bring some to Christmas. Extra brute. I what think do you mean by is- gnarly? Sorry, like like super dry. Yeah, like I'm drinking this one that we're drinking right now, and I it is pretty sweet. And I was just thinking, like, mm. I I like that. I oh, think the Dom was on the sweeter side, too. Oh, we're going to get into the complex nature of dosage in a second. We're just going to let Aaron finish the oh champagne. But so Brute goes up to, I believe, 12 grams. And I think extra Brute's between six and two grams. Per this bottle? Per liter. Okay. And your bottle's not quite a liter. It's 750 milliliters. So I don't know why yeah. the, like we, we have to do different things. But France. France. Okay. So after the dressage... Dressage? Dressage. Dosage. Dosage. Mm-hmm. Dos equis. Okay. After the dosage, now we're doing final bottling, I think, where we put the cork in. Yes, the cork in that you see today in your bottle you buy at a store, as well as the, you know, the the metal keeps the cork in place, as well as the um, aluminum that goes around it. So now it's more or less ready for distribution to the consumer. So as you can see, there's a lot of steps and processes and manual interaction and so frankly, the bubbles <laughs> the bubbles are literally just made by yeast yeah i mean it's like the yeah. the fermentation process and pretty much any alcoholic beverage like that's just the the carbonation going in your in your glass but but let's talk about why why are there so many bubbles as opposed to let's just say flat wine or flat wine that's slightly effervescent because at, at what, because basically we're trapping in the yeast, sorry, we're trapping in the carbon dioxide in a way for champagne that we aren't for say a champagne or sorry, a Chardonnay still, still wine. Where, yeah, exactly. Where, where's that? No, where's that difference in the process? It comes from the, this disgorgement because like, oh, okay. w- when you're, when you're making Chardonnay, just regular Chardonnay, once you get it from the pressed juice, you're not you're not going straight into a bottle you're going into a barrel and then you're barrel aging or you're putting in a stainless steel tank whatever you're doing so there there's no extra like fermentation process there That's and with right. champagne you're doing almost two fermentation processes in the bottle which is similar to kombucha if you're not really familiar with alcohol kombucha does the similar thing in terms of what it does in a bottle but to go yeah. back if i may dosage is a complex term and when you think about sugar in a drink you kind of immediately gravitate towards sweetness but dosage as it's intended is more like salt to food it's supposed to just heighten flavors rather than add sweetness to champagne so there's no intention to having like dom perignon's is i think around i think it's either eight grams or 10 grams per liter for the 2013 so that's not an intention to make it sweeter. The intention is to heighten the flavors more from that vintage. This one that we're currently drinking that we'll talk about in a sec is four grams per liter. So the winemaker thought this is the amount I needed of flavoring to get to the, the where I wanted to be for my champagne. Yeah, Danny. I uh, had a question, but then you finished your thought. And now my question's really stupid. So never mind. Don't ask it. I will say Peter Leem's book. And that's L-I-E-M is possibly the greatest research you'll have about wine. And he only wrote about champagne. 
And I would strongly recommend it if you like champagne at all. It's a very in-depth dive into champagne. And there's also a book called Champagne Charlie that goes into the historical nature of champagne and how it influenced the U.S. consumer, which is a pretty interesting look in terms of why champagne become became a celebratory drink in the United States and how these major houses survived prohibition when we were importing so much of their uh, production. That's interesting. What's it called? Champagne Charlie? Yes. All right. Any other questions on the process, how to make champagne? We got a lot more to cover. Okay. We do? I don't know. A little bit? <laughs> I mean, like, okay, wouldn't you guys, would you guys describe champagne as sweet? I like consider it a sweet wine. Is that it crazy? Depends. It just depends on how they made it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can pick up sweeter flavor profiles from this wine that we're currently drinking. I think there's other champagnes where you'll pick up drier aspects and certain other pro- flavor profiles. But there's like this yeasty bread aspect to champagne that you don't get in other wines, which can almost like gravitate you towards like a sweeter bakery note that you'll find. Like people will compare it to like, I don't know, brioche. And mm-hmm. like that can that can kind of radiate with like how you're viewing like wines. But the thing about champagne is like you'll almost always pick up secondary and third notes. And like that's what kind of makes like the wine. Okay, so another question. Would you theoretically carbonate a wine? That's my question. What, what do you mean? <laughs> yes. Like make it sparkling, like sparkling water. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a ton of uh, sparkling wines out there of different like types of grapes. Obviously, certain grapes lend themselves better to this type of wine, typically. Are the sparkling wines not made with yeast? Are they made instead with being carbonated? I believe for the most part, they're made in a pet nat way, which is just the first part of the fermentation. Hmm. We got to have a pet nat podcast, maybe in spring. Yeah, season two, pet nat. We'll do pet nat sparkling wine. Okay, Aaron, I'll stop. I'll stop interrupting. So go on. Are we still going? What else do we have? He said we had a bunch more to go. I think he meant a bunch more in the episode notes, not necessarily <laughs> making champagne. The champagne's in right. the bottle. You can sell it now. Well, That's what I was done. wondering. We well, made I mean, champagne. Wow. Okay. Thanks, thanks to Aaron. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. Aaron. Uh, thank you to Jared. Thank you to Danny. Thank you to listener. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Should we move on to the wine list of the week or are we going to go over the other documents? Do we do we want to skip the wine list of the week this week and just go to what's in our glass? Because I feel like we have run a little long. Unless you guys are pretty passionate about this wine list. Danny, do you prefer it short or long? Either way, I have a wine ready. It's gonna surprise no one. Podcast is free. <laughs> Danny, have you go over your wine you want to choose for the wine list, and 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 I want to open my champagne. What you haven't you opened your champagne? <laughs> I wanted to get the bottle pop on the podcast i'm like two glasses ahead of you okay ready uh jr do you want to make a guess on what i chose it's a really long list so i'm actually afraid to even try to figure out what you pick oh here i'll give you a hint it's on the first page oh perfect (laughs) okay give me one sec so for the listener we are talking about the wine list from juliet which is in southern california los angeles the reason we picked it for this episode is because they have an absolutely incredible champagne selection on this list. Probably the best I've seen in California and maybe the best I've seen in the United States. Juliet's described as bright dishes from morning to night. Aaron's going to hate this. A modern Parisian restaurant in Los Angeles. I believe it opened this year or last year. It's on the Michelin Guide watch list. Okay, Danny picked a wine from the first, which include the first page of the wine list which includes selections, either pour, half pours, full pours, or in a care. I believe she would have gone with a rosé, maybe? I'm going to think you went, hmm, Chateau Simone, the Provence rosé of Grenache and Mauvert. Oh my God, you got it! <laughs> I deduced that by feeling like which one was the easiest to pronounce, to be honest. <laughs> and then I went from there. Jared, did you just actually guess it? Yeah. He used my thought process, too. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing. Well, it's um described, it's described as crisp and dry, which I honestly don't know if I would like. Jared, would I like it? No. 
Well, that's not fair. You would like it. I think you'd okay. like something else on the list more. So okay. I mean, like, yes, you would like it. And this would be a great selection. I do think there's other things on this list that you'd probably prefer. So like, mm -hmm. if we went in a large group, like, we'd probably order a few things that we could all try. The The selection by the glass of this place is outstanding. And honestly, like, if I was dining here, I'd probably just like pick a few things off the glass just to try a few different champagnes. Or half glass. Or half glass. Like just I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh different producers. Etienne Calsock's uh Le Rochefort is on this list, which is an incredible Blanc de Blanc. Uh Frederic Savard's Le Overtar. It's a Blanc de Noir. So it'd be great to like compare the Blanc de Blanc to the Blanc de Noir. Jared, can I just interrupt you real quick? And I just want to ask for the general listener. When you get a good Blanc de Blanc, does that improve your chances of seeing the Badonka Donk? Anyways, I, uh, I do want to I want to hear uh, JR's pick for this wine list. <clears throat> I'm way down. I think on page like 11. It's like the one off section of champagnes. It's on page 12. Mason Redday, I believe is how you pronounce it. Urmosa Ripa. It's a non vintage. Uh, it's a new producer in the champagne region that I'd be really excited to try. So and I, they do not sell this by the glass. They do not. You'd have to buy the bottle, which is fine because my wife has agreed to pay for this meal. So thank you, Taylor. It, How it, much is it? Where is it? <laughs> it's quite a bit. You know, we're going to call it a Christmas present. It, it It's on the list for 171. Sheesh. So I'm probably not eating dinner, but, you know, I'm going to have a good time with my bubbles, which is basically a bubble bath. That's basically like Robinson dancing on my own. Just just bringing champagne on my own. Aaron's a DJ, and sometimes he makes these song references that are absolutely incredible, and that was one of them. So if we have a clip segment in the future of best one-liners from Aaron from the Wine Goblins, that one should definitely make it. I just imagine you just popping balloons, just stumbling around the field like it's Cam's wedding. Anyway. That was a great time, too. Great time. Shout out to Cam. Shout out to Lydia. Wonderful people. Yeah. So this food menu looks amazing, by the way. I know you guys don't care about food. <laughs> It's not that I don't care about food. It's that it's not my priority. I, I often look at wine lists first and food lists come second. You skinny Californians. Yeah, who's next? It's you. Oh, my goodness. So can I be a bad boy? Always. I mean, just don't um, just don't pick something that costs more than mine. Never. I'm going to go with a, Lu a Loire white wine because we're kind of doing a lot of champagne with this meal. It's champagne's great, but I think champagne is time and place. And I, I want to kind of differentiate, especially just... I have my eyes on the uh, daily oysters, the salads with endives, hopefully Belgian. Any Dutch endives can just go to hell. Uh, seared scallops, trout roe. Oh, my goodness. This is the most hipster, delicious menu I've ever seen. So I want to go with a Sauvignon Blanc from the Sancerre region of France in the Loire Valley. And it's uh, the producer is Thibaud, it's weird, uh, Thibaud Denz, I don't know, Denizot, Denizot. And it's a sense here from 2020. It's $87. So again, it's uh, LA prices. So not nothing, but compared to the rest of this wine list, it seems kind of in the median. So I think I want to offset all the champagne with uh, Sauv Blanc from the Loire Valley. It's all of my seafood and sort of things like that. Shout out to my wife's favorite person, Taylor Swift, for that wine pick. That would also probably be one of her favorites off this list, too. Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift. I know everyone says this, but I feel like Taylor Swift and I would get along really well. I agree. I think you would have a lot of thoughts on her music that she would appreciate. Eh, I would mostly be like, you look just like my friend Lydia. Yeah, no, let's FaceTime her. It's crazy. You look just like her. Has anyone ever told you <laughs> that you look like Lydia? <laughs> oh, Do we want to move on to what's in our glass? I think we should, unless you want to give us a hot take. But I think you kind of talked about the start of the episode. That was so long ago. Yeah. Dan Danny's hot take was that opening champagne scary. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah. It, yeah. We were way past that. That's very scary. Anyways, uh, Aaron so, needs to open his champagne. I did. I did. Oh. So I did it. I was going to do it on the podcast, and I realized this is going to be a huge mistake. And I'm glad I did because it, it was pretty. It was pretty fussy. Did it explode on you too? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Oh no, not on me. No, not on me. It exploded, but not on me. Yeah, it exploded. It on the me. bottle. It mm -hmm. popped all over the sink, but not on me because I knew where. I know angles. I'm really good at trigonometry. I'm not. Was yours in your cellar or was it in your fridge? It had been in my cellar. And then yesterday I moved to the, to the fridge in anticipation for this podcast. Mm, okay. Mine so had been stored pretty... at room temperature in my kitchen. Oh. In the box it arrived in. Wow. 
They're not going now that somewhere. box is They're empty. The box is now empty, and I don't have room in my recycling. And since we're playing foreplay with what's in our glass, we'll just talk about what's in our glass. We are drinking Julian Prela Presley Blanc de Blanc. As I referenced earlier, it's 100% Chardonnay. Julian's a third generation winemaker, and he's been working in his village, which is Selsurs, since 2000. What makes him unique is he makes single vintage single varietal cuvees from individual and expressive plots. So this village is made famous by Cedric Bouchard, which if you're familiar with like fine wine is one of the probably top growers of champagne. Uh, I think I believe his wines retail in the 300 to 600 range. So he's his neighbors are uh, quite high in company. So I have enjoyed the wine I've been trying the it's the importer is drink well, I believe. What so Jared, would you consider would this be considered a grower champagne? Sorry, the importer is Elientini imports from New York. This is a grower champagne. He's a he's a grower producer. He has two hectares of land that he grows this in. The interesting part about it, beyond the fascinating village that he's in, is that this village is known for Pinot Noir and he's making Chardonnay from it. So hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, Chardonnay from a village that's mostly known for Pinot Noir, which can impart some different terroir on it, even though terroir seems to be a controversial word for champagne because of the way their blending style is for the wine. So he's a regular Morgan Long. Yes. Shout out to our Oregon winemakers who probably will start making beautiful sparkling wine in the future. I I, I should say more of them should start making it. Currently, some of them do, but I'm hopeful more of them start making it in the future. Danny, I'm going to call on you to give your initial thoughts slash uh, rating of this wine. You know, I I found that I'm a very big fan of champagne. Is it because you're a white woman from Southern California? Yeah, just like JR. Just like JR. (laughs) It's good. It's really good. It it has thing. So I, I heard recently on a podcast, someone describe like their initial rating for champagne. Champagne because the way we all view it is a celebratory drink. You always have to feel like you want to go back for another glass. And this wine just makes me feel like I want another glass at all times of it. Right. So it definitely checks that box immediately. It's, it's It has this incredible drinkability to it. But obviously, when we're talking about the most expensive wine that we've talked about this season, you want a little bit more depth there. And I think this wine delivers it too. I also think it's interesting that this winemaker is doing something unique for the region when all these other winemakers are kind of going in a style that's blending and figuring out other things. This guy's going for terroir. This guy's going for this vineyard produces this type of wine. This is what you can taste from it. And I just really appreciate that. Yeah, Danny. Yeah, I have a clarifying question. So there's grower vineyards that where they grow their own grapes. Yeah. And then there's what's the other one? Estate? House. 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 And is that where they import grapes? So they they have they grow their own grapes at houses too, but they also import too. I mean, grower champagne mainly refers to smaller producers. And in the champagne region for the longest time, these houses were buying most of the grapes from the region. Like all the people who own the vineyard, the the houses would buy them. So the Moes, the Runes, the the Vouve would be snatching up all of these grapes and they would produce the champagnes. And now we're seeing this rise, or we, we've seen it for a decade or two, of growers. So it's like this next generation of kids. They're like, I no longer want to grow just the grapes. I want to also produce wine, too. So they're producing the wine, which has shifted. We're seeing more grower champagnes, which is this reference to the wine we're drinking now. There's not much of it out there in the U.S. market. I guess it's probably like 50 cases, maybe 100 cases of this wine out there in the U.S. market. So it's probably not easy for listeners to find. But there are other growers out there that make interesting wine. The frustrating part about champagne is, as Aaron explained when he was explaining how to make champagne, is it's so time consuming to make it that it makes the wine so expensive. So when we're talking about some other wines, like, for instance, like the the $20 wines that we had from Italy and the and the $20 wines that we had from Spain, there were great wines too. There's less time-consuming aspects to making those wines. And so that's what kind of goes into champagne. So it's a lot harder to find 
a good champagne for under $60. And in this price point at $50, this is a fantastic wine, in my opinion. Jerry, can we talk about how to drink? How much was this? 50 five zero for the listeners who might hear me mumbling but yeah this was our most expensive one and our previous mission statement that we were trying to find affordable wines for you to consume in the 20 to 50 dollar range i basically pushed the 50 dollar range just to be able to squeeze some champagne in there so this one's in here on this season one because it just tucks in under that little umbrella that we set in place but obviously this is a special occasion wine and for the end of season one we wanted to go out with a bang and a we, pop. we pop some cork and we're and we're also the listener probably will not hear this until a while, but we're we're recording right before Christmas and of course New Year's, so champagne seemed very appropriate. And Jared, can we talk about how to drink champagne? Because I've obviously had champagne before, not to brag, but I don't really know how to drink good champagne. So mm. I'm not, I'm drinking it in a, in a. Go ahead, Danny. What kind of glass are you drinking it in? I'm drinking it in my large wine glasses, so they're they're honestly probably better for red wine. I, well, it's actually Jr. taught me champagne glasses. Mm-mm. Right, especially for good stuff like mm-hmm. you want to sell those cheaper just for celebration. But for something that's good and quality, you want to be able to get the aromas and things of that nature. So my question is, should I swirl it to kind of aerate, similar to another like a high quality white wine, still wine, or will that just get rid of the bubbles? Exactly. Yeah, there's there's people who drink champagne that don't really rate the bubble as an aspect of the champagne. Isn't so, that the whole thing? Well, not the like, whole thing, but it's like a large portion of it. It's the only. Sure. And like, you'll see many reviews of champagne that talks about like how fine the bubbles are or how long they last. But there's right. also like this whole aspect of taste like to it that like if you want to aerate it and get more of those smells out of it, there's nothing wrong with swirling champagne in your glass. I'm and getting th- apple. Are you guys getting apple? I was definitely getting apple. I did get some brioche too. I did. I did feel like that yeasty bread was there too. Yeah. I, ju- I just, I was saying earlier how there's something. I just realized it's green apple. I, Danny's I tasting find it, are exquisite. I do find Danny's has the nose of a bloodhound and the appetite of a goldfish. You guys are making me blush. Anyway, so JR, <laughs> you would think like a glass like mine is good to drink champagne off of. It's a, pretty wide open glass i'd say it's for probably many different wines so danny's drinking i think it's a zalto universal glass something like that yes exactly um if you're one of those people who really loves bubbles and champagne it might be too wide that's the only Mm -hmm. critique i'd have of it is it might be too wide and the bubbles are going to escape quicker because there's more surface area it's like you you will see people drink normally champagne either from a flute or from a coupe and that's like kind of the differentiator. Some people prefer to keep the bubbles in there. So they drink in those like tiny flutes. And some people really want the wide elegance of a coupe. I'm drinking out of a specifically almost designed glass for champagne, which is Grassle, not sponsored, but would love to be sponsored. Mineral Light. It's got a tiny opening at the top, not tiny, but it's got a smaller opening at the top and a wider base. And so that's like kind of bridging the gap between both. And obviously, I love that glass for champagne because it gives me the aromas off of the wine from the wider base, but also keeps it kind of trapped in with that smaller opening up top. And Jared, that's why you love going to Spain so much, because you have the skinny up top and the fat bottoms, which is something that you're really interested in. I have have some questions. I have some questions. So I this is probably the nicest champagne I've ever had there thereabouts. How? I'm finding it difficult to get tasting notes because the bubbles effervescentness is kind of masking it in a way. So mm. to be clear, Aaron opened his champagne maybe 10 minutes ago, 15, 20. Right. Yeah. Relatively soon. I will say when you're opening your champagne and I felt like there was a ton of carbonation in mine, my cork popped off really easily like Danny. So I, I feel like this this bottle is, is very carbonated. Did you also have to take a shower afterwards? I did not. Um, that might be just a one-person problem on this pod. But I think mine's been open for an hour and a half now. And the tasting notes and what I'm picking up on the aroma of the wine have changed quite a bit. So when I'm approaching champagne, I know I talked about earlier that like one of the things I look for in champagne is the drinkability going back for another glass. I want another glass. 
but I also like to slow myself down and try to take my time with each glass that I have to see how it changes in my glass. Because once those bubbles slow down and you kind of can appreciate some of the things that are going with it, you, you can kind of pick up on more nuance of the winemaker. And it's one of the things that I appreciate the most about champagne. It's made me really kind of interested or more interested in champagne recently. And I feel like this year's champagne's kind of been my discovery. And I've had some great champagnes this year. I've been fortunate enough to have some great champagnes this year and hopefully have a, a few more over the next two weeks. So, JR, this is about $50. And for the average person, that's a lot for just a bottle of wine. What do, do you think we could find not alternatives, but other wines that are in the 20 to $30 range that are almost as good? Or it obviously depends on your taste and your preferences, but that are also kind of feel like, hey, you know, I've had a long week. It's Friday. I deserve something kind of special. You pop a bottle, have some bubbles are kind of fun. But again, like the $50 price point, that's pretty hard to digest for a lot of people, especially if it's not just a special occasion. Unfortunately, I feel like champagne's kind of left that $20 to $30 price point. I don't think right. you're going to find much quality in that price range. But I'm not saying that you can't find good sparkling wine there. And there's good sparkling wine from all over the world. It's not champagne. And the New York Times author, Eric Asimov, had an excellent article this week about good sparkling wines to try with the holidays coming up that aren't going to cost you a fortune. He made it pretty clear that champagne's unique in its own regard. And obviously, we're enjoying a bottle of champagne and having a really nice Friday evening as three best friends avoiding their significant others. And I think the part is, is like you can find good sparkling wine from elsewhere. And I had great sparkling wine from Hungary last week. That was just it was excellent. But unfortunately, it's not champagne. So if you really want champagne, you, you kind of have to spend yes. a little bit extra to get it. But if you trust the wine store that you frequent, hopefully it's an independent local wine store, then they'll probably steer you in the right way for your big purchase of champagne for whenever you want a celebratory drink. Well, I think I, I'm really interested in finding and exploring more sparkling wines because this is terrific. And I don't think it should be limited to just the holiday season. There's always times to celebrate and just enjoy life. That's that's just how I live my life, you know? Me too, Aaron. And I mean, the, the wine fridge has added quite a few bottles of champagne recently, much to the chagrin of my wife, who is less of a Bubbles fan and more of a still wine fan. But, you know, you have to make sacrifices for your loved ones. And I think that's that's important to remember around the holidays. It's so true. Danny, did you have something to say? Looked like you wanted to say. I didn't know my own sister doesn't like champagne. She she doesn't. But Ooh. it's okay. You know, we, we love her anyway. I think she likes what her husband's willing to do after he's had champagne. And that'll put a wrap on season one of The Wine Goblins. Thank you all for listening so much. We'll be back with season two. And Danny and I are currently trying to bribe Aaron so we can record season two, at least a few episodes in person. So thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Please let us know what you think of our episode so far. And look forward to catching you in season two. 